Hi, welcome to Civic's Change Agent Chat, Episode 30. During these chats, we speak with change agents who are working to create a better healthcare system for us all. I'm Stephanie Spriggs with the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare, or as we like to call it, Civic. In this chat, Kristen Paulson, Civic's VP of Research and Innovation, is speaking with Rachel Robinson, Project Angel Heart's Director of Strategic Partnerships. Evidence indicates that malnutrition puts chronically ill patients at increased risk for complications and that improved nutrition can improve health outcomes. Yet there is a lack of literature examining the impact of home-delivered meals on chronically ill individuals. Project Angel Heart used CoAPCD data to study the quantifiable impact that customized home-delivered meals have on healthcare costs. During this chat, Civic's Kristen Paulson and Project Angel Heart's Rachel Robinson will discuss the findings of this exciting study that impacts the social determinants of health, what it means for Coloradans, and how it can change how data is used across the country. We recorded this chat in September 2018. Thanks for listening and enjoy the chat. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, for those of us on the, in the Midwest and East Coast, good morning to those of, of you joining in the Pacific side of the, of the U.S. My name is Carrie Frank, and I am Civic's Vice President of Communication and Marketing, and I'll be moderating today's discussion. Before we get started, there are just a few housekeeping items I'd like to mention. First of all, the phone lines are muted, and we will be using the Q&A feature to field questions and allow you to make comments on the discussion. Questions posed will be answered during the Q&A session, um, but feel free to post questions along the way. And if there is something that I feel that we need to jump in and clarify with the presenters, we'll go ahead and do that at the time. Otherwise, we'll hold all questions and answers for the end. This webinar is being recorded and will be posted to the Civic website so you can access it um, at any point in time, and we'll be sharing it with Project Angel Heart as well, so they may also have links on their website in addition to links on our website as well. We are very excited today to discuss the results of a wonderful collaborative that we're, we have, have had this partnership with Project Angel Heart from, for several years now, and it, it was really exciting to be able to take claims from the Colorado All-Paraclaims database to measure some of the return on investment and health impact for Project Angel Heart's nutritionally catered meals for seriously ill Coloradans. We're joined today by Rachel Rabb. She's the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Project Angel Heart. And we also have Kristen Paulson, VP of Research and Innovation here at Civic, both of whom have been involved in this work since it began over three years ago or so. They'll be able to share all of the background and history with you guys. With that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Rachel Robinson, or I'm sorry, I just gave away her new name, Rachel Rabb, to kick off the discussion. Rachel, thanks for being here. Sorry. Thanks, Carrie. Your name. Uh, it is, yes, I just got married. So it is Rab turning to Robinson. So thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, and thanks to our friends at Civic, not only for their fantastic partnership over the last uh, several years, um, but also for the opportunity to kind of showcase the fantastic work that um, we did and they evaluated for us. So um, we are here today to talk about a small intervention that has a significant impact. So we, um, as Carrie had mentioned, we are uh, looked at the healthcare cost reductions related to medically tailored meals. So you can go ahead to the next slide. 
Um, as she had mentioned, my name is Rachel Rabb. I'm the Director of Strategic Partnerships here at Project Angel Heart, and I had the privilege of working with Civic's team um, uh, throughout the last three years to help coordinate design um, and implement this study. So next slide, please. So for those that are on the call that are not familiar with Project Angel Heart, um, we have been preparing and delivering medically tailored meals since 1991. And so our organization is a nonprofit that's headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and our mission is to improve health and well-being uh, for people with life-threatening illnesses by preparing and delivering medically tailored meals and promoting the power of food as medicine. And for those that are not familiar of what a medically tailored meal might be, they're actually meals that are approved by a registered dietitian nutritionist that use evidence-based guidelines to ensure positive health outcomes. So what that means is we essentially use nutrition to improve health and augment the treatments that critically ill individuals may be living with. So to qualify to receive meals from Project Angel Heart, folks need to be living with a life-threatening illness and a mobility-related issue that prohibits their uh, ability to access or prepare healthy food. We don't actually have any age or income restrictions for our program, and our service is available throughout metropolitan Denver and Colorado Springs. And for context, this year alone, we're going to be providing over 490,000 meals free of charge to over 3,000 Coloradans. And so those meals look like everything from a heart-healthy diet to renal-friendly um, to vegetarian to gluten-free um, to texture modifications, pureed for folks with dental, um, or dental issues or issues swallowing or otherwise. And so we were originally founded 27 years ago in response to the HIV epidemic. So the inherent reaction we have culturally is to provide food um, for folks as they become ill. And really, we were providing food at the time um, at the end of life. But over the last 27 years, we've really honed our focus and expertise in providing nutrition that actually improves health outcomes. Next slide, please. So we are providing food. We're not uh, attempting to alleviate hunger, but obviously doing so and providing meals. And so we always have wanted to know what that impact was. And so for the last 20 plus years, we've been asking questions on what difference do those meals make? Um, we have a couple of metrics outlines here that say that 68% of our clients report that the meals we provide improve their adherence to their health plan, whether they remember to take their medications with their meals, they have more strength or energy to make it to chemotherapy treatments, or otherwise, the meals help. 70% also report that they're better able to afford their basic needs. We know that one in three individuals in the United States living with a chronic illness struggles between making the, um, purchasing food and medication, or both. And so obviously, if you're receiving meals for free, you have more income to direct to other areas of need. 67% also report that they're able to remain independent at home. So I had mentioned this, our meals are delivered to the homes of individuals on a regular basis within the same two hour window of the same day every week for as long as they are in need of and qualify for our service. And so having that reliable service for folks enables them to remain independent in their home. And 73% report that just having this meal service improves their quality of life, whether it's recognizing that the community is in, uh, thinking of them and supporting their care or actually improving their overall health and energy, social family relationships or otherwise, we know we're making a difference. So then we thought to ourselves, if all of this is true, these fantastic outcomes are correct, there must be a way to quantify this. Go ahead and next slide, please. So we thought to ourselves, how can we quantify this? How can we figure out what the actual impact of our meals is on that 
community impact on those healthcare costs. Um, we were trying to think to ourselves of how do we fund a large-scale study. We had these grandiose ideas of doing a prospective study that was very large-scale, and we were talking to anybody and everybody that was interested and willing to talk to us about these ideas and how to quantify our impact. Um, and then we coincidentally ended up having conversations with our right partners. I see our friends over at Telogen are on the phone or on the call currently with us. So Telogen was the first contact we had, um, helping us kind of think through what a study might look like. And they had made an introduction to our friends over at Civic, who told us about this fantastic resource of the all-payer claim database, where we could essentially look at the healthcare costs of our clients and evaluate that impact. Now, to access data in the APCD, it does come with a fee, but luckily enough, the state of Colorado's um, in the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing awards scholarship funding to be able to access that data. So we were not only privileged to have the support of Telogen and Civic to design this robust, fantastic study, but then we were all also able to access scholarship funding to be able to pull the data in and of itself. So we had a fantastic team of support and experts to help us along the way. Next slide, please. So we sought out to answer two distinct questions. One, does providing medically tailored meals impact healthcare costs for chronically ill individuals? And two, next slide, do chronically ill individuals who receive medically tailored meals have lower healthcare costs than those who do not receive the meals? Kristen's gonna get into a more detailed discussion of this methodology, but essentially we wanted to know a, do our meals make an impact for our clients when they receive them? And does our meals make a greater impact for the folks that receive our meals compared to those who do not? Next slide. Thanks, <clears throat> Thanks Rachel. This is uh, Kristen Paulson. Um, I'm gonna walk through some of the methodology that we used on this study uh, with Project Angel Heart. Um, I do want to, to uh, make a shout out to the University of Colorado who also helped us um, dramatically with some of the analysis um, and just consulting through this uh, lengthy process. Uh, the presentation today is going to focus on that first question. Um, does providing these medically tailored meals um, make an impact on healthcare costs for individuals who are receiving them? So as we go through presenting some of these uh, results, uh, I just want to walk through and give everyone uh, an idea of what, how we're defining the different periods of time that we are going to be comparing. So the pre-intervention period refers to the six months uh, prior to the date that any client started receiving meals from Project Angel Heart. That gives us an idea of baseline costs and utilization for that individual patient going into their service period. The intervention period or service period is defined by the service dates that were provided by Project Angel Heart. So the data that Civic received from Project Angel Heart included ways to identify the client so that we could pull their claims. Uh, it gave us dates of service so when we knew when they received meals. And it also identified the patient's uh, primary disease so we knew how to categorize them in order to um, analyze the outcomes. So service breaks of less than 30 days, so if someone was receiving meals and stopped receiving meals for three weeks, uh, those were considered continuous service. We just ignored those um, off weeks and just kept tracking. Um, breaks of less than, uh, more than two months and less than five months were removed from the analysis, so we pulled those dates out 
um, and use the remaining dates in that span um, as our um, analysis period. And then breaks of more than six months were considered a new service period. Uh, the post-intervention period uh, tracks what happened to patients after they stopped receiving meals from Project Angel Heart. Um, and this is the six months after the service end date, but no later than December 31st of 2013. Next slide. Uh, so who's in this analysis? Um, first of all, everyone that we looked at was over the age of 18, so we did not take into consideration any pediatric patients. Uh, second, we removed all of the folks that um, passed away while on service. Um, one of the, the functions that Project Angel Heart serves is to provide meals and nutritional support for individuals who are at end of life. Um, and those folks are expected to pass away in the near future, uh, so we did not include them in this study. Um, also, individuals had to be matched to claims in the all-payer claims database. Uh, they had to have non-zero dollar claims for more than half of each period, the pre-intervention, the intervention, and the post-intervention period. Zero dollar claims are essentially uh, charity care or uncompensated care that happens at hospitals. Because of the population that Project Angel Heart tends to serve, there were a significant number of individuals uh, that we had in the original cohort. Um, that had a number of these claims that were uncompensated or paid for uh, by the hospital itself. That doesn't give us a very good idea of what their overall healthcare costs are, and so we pulled those folks out of the study. Um, in addition, individuals had to be eligible for coverage by some kind of payer for at least one month out of each time period. So they had to be eligible for coverage by Medicaid or Medicare or commercial payers um, in order to be included. Uh, they had to have both a start date and an end date for services. Um, and they had to have at least three weeks and less than two years of service. There were a few individuals in the group that had more than two years of service, um, but that extended period of service uh, really tended to skew the results, and so we pulled those couple outliers out um, and didn't include them in the final analysis. And then finally, if someone did pass away in the post-intervention period, they had to have a single resolvable death date. Um, we did have several individuals that from the claims data, we had two, three, and in one instance, even four uh, different death dates. So if we couldn't resolve when they actually passed away, we left them out of uh, the cohort. And again, I think that was about seven individuals. So at the end of the day, we had 708 clients uh, that we were able to include in this analysis. Um, and that is by far the largest group of people that have been able to be included in uh, a study looking at the impact of medically tailored meals. Next page. So there are some assumptions that we made uh, as we moved forward with this analysis that are important for you to understand as we look at results. So the type of insurance that each client had or was considered was determined on the, by the type of coverage they had the first day of service. So the end of the pre-intervention period, the beginning of the intervention period, if a client was Medicaid, they were considered to be a Medicaid client. If a client was Medicare, they were considered to be a Medicare client for the duration of the study. Um, this isn't exact. There has, was churn over the course of the study. Uh, but to simplify the analysis, we considered everyone's coverage on the first day of service 
as their type of coverage for the duration of the study. Um, age for the individual was also determined at the start of the intervention period, so that first day of service. Um, primary disease is part of the information that was provided to us by Project Angel Heart and was determined by the client at the time of enrollment. So we did not use claims to identify a client's primary disease. That was identified by the client themselves. So if they said that their primary disease was end-stage renal disease, we considered them an end-stage renal disease client um, and kept them in that category. Also, we did not take into account cost inflation over the years of this study. So this study includes um, 2010 through 2013, um, and we did not adjust for cost inflation over that time. Um, and then just an important note uh, that I want to make sure everyone's aware of, from the information that we have from the claims, it appears that Project Angel Heart services are frequently initiated when the client is going through a period of uh, acute illness, um, when things are getting worse um, from a steady state. Uh, and so that may have increased a, a client's pre-intervention costs slightly, uh, over the baseline. Um, unfortunately, there was no way that we could come up with to uh, adjust for that. We didn't meet with the University of Colorado uh, to try to figure out a way to really make sure that had as little impact as possible, but since it varies so much from client to client, it was very challenging to figure out how to do that. So just to keep in mind, for most clients, there's some sort of increasing acuity that is happening as they're enrolling in Project Angel Heart Services. Uh, next slide. So finally, for the analysis, uh, we stripped all the client information from the data as soon as we were able to actually create the cohort. So we were not working with um, identifiable data as much as humanly possible. Uh, we analyzed the claims for each client by interval. So uh, pre-intervention, intervention, and post-intervention. And we looked at utilization and cost. Uh, the findings were summed by not only their insurance type, um, but also their primary disease and then the line of service. So was it an inpatient cost, outpatient cost, emergency department, pharmaceutical, um, those kinds of things. And uh, they were reported by, line, by disease, line of business, service line, uh, including professional. Uh, and then we compared uh, to find out what happened between the pre-intervention period and the intervention period, and then also the pre-intervention period and the post-intervention period to determine the significance of the impact on patients' lives. Next slide. Rachel? Whew, I feel like I need to take a deep breath from all of that complexity. So um, bravo to University of Colorado and Civic for really just kind of um, coming with a really compact solution and figuring out a way to evaluate this. So I don't think we give them ever enough credit on figuring out that this was an actual blueprint on how we could evaluate a social service um, and kind of figure out that community impact on that um, reduction of healthcare dollars. So the next few slides that we are going to view here um, is a brief snapshot of these results. So Kristen just went through all the different segmentations of the data that had been completed. So not only pre, during, and post meals, but also who you were insured by, what illness you were living with, and where those dollars were spent. So we have a snapshot of results here 
Um, Project Angel Heart um, received over 300 plus slides of what those results were. So if anyone is dying to look at any sort of specificity, feel free to email me after the fact and I will bore you to death with detail. Um, but what we have highlighted here um, is just those kind of key statistically significant takeaways at the kind of highest level um, from this result. So what we have here does not in any way comprehensively show the full results because essentially what this proved to us is what we all inherently know to be true, that if you eat well and for the illness you're living with, that your healthcare costs are reduced. And here's a quick snapshot proving those facts. So the slide that you all have in front of you here is looking at Project Angel Heart clients. So this is every illness, every insurance provider, and looking at where those dollars were spent. Those bars in red are gonna represent the cost prior to meals being initiated. Again, these are representative of the per member per month costs. And the bars in orange are gonna represent those costs while folks were actually receiving meals. So Kristen had mentioned that we looked at those three different time periods of pre-intervention, intervention, i.e. receiving meals, compared to post. Project Angel Heart is focused mainly on what those pre compared to the actual intervention is um, to look at that kind of near-term short impact. I know Kristen's going to dive deeper into some of those longer-term impacts in a few slides, but just as a heads up, this is what we've segmented here. So what this slide represents in that first column is actually total medical costs. So overall, regardless of who folks were insured by or what illness they were living with, when they started receiving their meals, in the cohort, there was a 5% reduction in total medical costs. There was also a 27% reduction in inpatient costs, and that was actually statistically significant. There was also a reduction in outpatient and professional costs. Curiously enough, we did see a slight increase in pharmacy costs, Although at the start of this webinar, I had mentioned that one in three individuals living with a chronic illness struggles between paying for food and medication. And so some inferences can be made, again, slightly challenging with a retrospective study utilizing claims data. But if you're getting free food, then that's one less thing to pay for. So perhaps you're increasing your adherence with your medication prescriptions. There's also a statistically significant increase in emergency department utilization, which is that far right graph. That, as Kristen had mentioned, from the claims data, we can infer that folks essentially start receiving meals from Project Angel Heart after an acute exacerbating event. So the inferences we've made from this data is perhaps somebody had not been feeling well, they had a heart attack or otherwise, and then they received a chronic disease diagnosis, which then triggered a referral to our service. So that's what these inferences are on why potentially there was a 225% increase in emergency department utilization when meals kicked in. Next slide, please. We had mentioned that we segmented and sliced and diced the data in a variety of ways. Um, we had looked at uh, insurance providers, commercial um, insurance ended up being too small of a sample size, so we did drop them from the study. We did see reductions across the payers of which um, individuals that were insured by Medicare, so for those that are not keenly aware, it is individuals that are age 65 or older or those folks living with end-stage renal disease, we had a statistically significant reduction of 14% um, costs, excuse me, costs were reduced by 14% when meals were initiated. Um, so that's a fantastic finding, especially as um, populations, particularly in Colorado, continue to age. Next slide, please. 
We also looked at, in addition to where dollars were spent or otherwise, the hot topic this day in healthcare is about these 30-day readmission rates. And so um, the folks over at Civic have looked at the 30-day all-cause readmission rate. So this is looking at all Project Danger Heart clients, um, regardless of illness or insurance provider. And what we found is when meals were initiated, there was a 13% decrease in those 30-day all or 30-day readmissions. And if you think that not only is this something that folks are getting penalized for in the hospital systems, but also that each readmission averages in Colorado, I think $13,000, that can have a significant impact on those dollar savings when meals are included in a comprehensive continuum of care for folks. Next slide, please. We also found, again, I had mentioned, we looked at the different disease states. So we in total looked at seven primary illnesses uh, HIV, end-stage renal disease, congestive heart failure, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, diabetes, cancer, and multiple sclerosis. And almost unanimously, we saw that the reductions in healthcare costs occurred when meals were um, implemented, of which there was a statistically significant reductions for folks living with congestive heart failure, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and diabetes. So across these three different or disease states, there was a 24% reduction um, in total medical costs when meals were initiated. So if Project Danger Heart is thinking of the folks we're serving this year alone with these illnesses, and again, we serve hundreds of different illnesses, but for just these folks to deliver, or living with these illnesses, if you think the average length of service um, that folks receive meals from us is approximately five months. We're talking over $4.2 million in healthcare savings for just these three disease states. So it's, we're talking pretty significant impact here. Next slide, please. And I'm going to actually hand it over to Kristen to talk about those longer or long-term impacts on the intervention. Sure. So I just wanted to give a couple um, sort of broad picture snapshots um, of what that, that post-intervention period looked like. Uh, we did see a number of interesting patterns in the post-intervention period that would really indicate we need to do some more research to figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, but I wanted to share some of these with you. So this is uh, uh, heart failure, all payers. So this is Medicare, Medicaid, and duly eligible individuals. Um, as Rachel mentioned, there is a statistically significant drop in cost between the pre-intervention period and the intervention period. What's very interesting is that in the post-intervention period, so we're talking about a six-month period after they've stopped receiving meals, healthcare costs remained low, um, almost at the exact same level as they did while they were receiving meals. Um, so it's just an interesting sort of uh, use pattern that we're seeing there. Uh, next slide. Uh, this is another pattern that we saw several different times, um, and that's when we're seeing post-intervention costs go back up. So uh, COPD was a great example of this. While there's a statistically significant uh, drop in costs between the pre-intervention period and the time of service when they're receiving Project Angel Heart meals, as soon as those meals stopped, costs and utilization jumped back up to pre-intervention um, rates. We also saw this uh, with the readmissions, actually. I didn't include that in this slide, in these slides, but uh, in the readmission trend, 
you'll see that there was a 13% drop in readmissions over the time of intervention. And then after the intervention, readmissions jumped up to actually higher than they had been pre-intervention. Uh, so there's some interesting um, trends that we're seeing in some of these uh, longer term impacts. Next slide. Uh, so here's diabetes. Diabetes still had a significant difference between the pre-intervention and the post-intervention periods, but you can see that there uh, may be a trend towards costs increasing in that post-intervention period. Um, diabetes, as you can imagine, uh, being a very nutritionally dependent disease, uh, did show some very, very solid and reliable drops in costs across uh, all lines of service, but uh, we are seeing a bit of a, an uptick once those uh, services were completed. Uh, next slide. Uh, and then finally, um, I wanted to highlight sort of the, the HIV um, in Medicaid specifically. So this is the only one where I'm actually pulling out um, a specific payer. This is the one place where we really saw an interesting um, trend in those longer term impacts. Uh, so we had pre-intervention costs um, of just shy of $900. During the intervention, those costs went up slightly, but not significantly. But after the intervention was over, that's when we saw an enormous drop um, in the costs of the individuals covered by Medicaid who uh, were diagnosed with HIV AIDS. This is one of those trends that leads us to believe that that acute exacerbating event, that, that sort of getting much sicker uh, before getting better uh, might be impacting some of the results that we're seeing uh, across diagnoses. So this is just an interesting one to look at and, and definitely a place where we want to do um, more research to find out exactly what's going on and what's causing this trend pattern. Next slide. So, my goodness, all of that brings us to what do we do now? So I had mentioned and gave context of what it is that Project Dean to Heart does and how our catchment area is the Metro Denver area in Colorado Springs. Um, and we're funded by philanthropic contributions. So um, individuals, corporations, foundations, and otherwise. But now that we have this proof that we're not only improving health perceived by that individual, but also has substantive impact on the reduction of healthcare costs, we're kind of making moves quickly to um, see if we can not only integrate meals into the continuum of care more broadly. So Project Danger Heart has employed a full-time employee specifically um, focused on bolstering partnerships with healthcare providers. And so this project has been underway for two years now. Um, and these conversations are always um, engaging where folks are like, absolutely, it makes sense. Let's provide heart healthy meals to this folk or to this individual with congestive heart failure. But nobody has really been, well, excuse me, we've had success to date, but conversations have been slow up until recently, we're able to revisit with this fantastic data. And now we're having fantastic conversations with payers, um, large payers within the region and kind of nationally to say, here's the definitive proof we can make by having a low cost intervention. So let's partner together to kind of move more effectively to integrate meals as a component of healthcare. And so my colleague, Leslie Scotland Stewart, if anyone has fantastic ideas, I'm happy to make introductions, um, is working at um, 
tirelessly to integrate um, into these models. And so we've had some successful partnerships with Denver Health Medical Plan, with Colorado Access, with HCA, where we're really continuing to collect this impact, where meals are actually integrated as part of the continuum of care. So as folks get discharged within 24 hours of being home from the hospital, they're receiving meals for a specific period of time to help get them on their feet, learn what they should be eating for um, their new diagnosis and otherwise. So our next steps with this data is really to integrate meals into those healthcare deliveries uh, models and payment models. Um, CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, also recently implemented a new ruling effective of June 15, 2018, which uh, Medicare Advantage plans can now provide supplemental benefits to individuals living with chronic disease. And so what that means is there's now ambiguous language that encourages innovation associated with providing care for these kind of high-risk, high-need patients, which is what Project Angel Heart serves. And so we are running to the hills to these Medicare Advantage plans to talk about this definitive impact that we make, not only from the perceived client perspective, um, what we inherently know to be true, but those kind of uh, dollar sign savings associated with it as well. And then we are thrilled um, for home delivered meals to be integrated into a benefit into a handful of home and community based service waivers in Medicaid um, uh, starting January 1st for folks that are transitioning from institutional care to a community based setting. So 26 states across the country currently provide meals as part of their home and community based service program. Up until recently, Colorado has not been one of them. For the last two years, there has been a demonstration project going on in which Project Aim to Heart has helped participate, where they were trialing meals and a handful of other services to see whether or not it improved health outcomes. And so given the success of that program, um, there was a recent legislation passed, and so now transition services um, for folks on specific home and community-based service waivers which gives an added set of services and supports for folks in particular circumstances, will now provide home-delivered meals for folks as they transition for up to a year. So we are beyond thrilled that this is now an opportunity um, for folks to receive this nutrition that we know has a substantive impact. And now our work is focused on more broadening that benefit beyond folks just transitioning to folks that are really in these high-risk, high-need populations that we know we make a substantive impact. Next slide, please. Hi, so uh, just a couple of notes. There are some limits to interpreting the um, outcomes of this study uh, that we wanna make sure that everyone is aware of. Um, this is still incredibly impactful information, especially right now in the era of new kinds of payment models and a focus on social determinants of health. Uh, but there are some limits to the interpretation of the study. Um, first of all, the clients were the ones that identified what their primary disease was. Um, it was not identified by the claims. So it doesn't necessarily mean that their primary disease is what someone from the outside would have uh, described as their primary disease. It was whatever the client felt their primary disease was. Um, also, given that we were limited to claims data, um, which is administrative data, we were not unable to control for the severity of their primary disease um, or the severity of their comorbidities. Um, this group had an average of seven comorbidities each. So this is a very, very sick group of, of people. Um, and we were unfortunately not able to control for how severe those comorbidities were. 
uh, and that is something that we know would likely have an impact on um, how much the meals, what kind of difference these meals made for them. Uh, this especially posed a significant in, uh, issue for the cancer analysis. Uh, you'll note that none of the slides that Rachel and I showed today um, highlighted our cancer diagnosis group. Um, there are a couple reasons for this. Cancer is not really a single disease. Um, cancer is a couple hundred different kinds of diseases that all have a similar mechanism and are lumped together. As a result, we really didn't get very consistent outcomes for the individuals who identified their primary disease as cancer. Uh, this is definitely an area that we want to look into more and perhaps start segmenting to see does it make a difference for individuals with breast cancer versus prostate cancer, stage one versus stage four, um, and, and things like that. So most of the clients also had at least some $0 claims, um, which does change these average costs and how you interpret cost and utilization. Um, again, anyone who had over half of their uh, claims were $0 were pulled out, but we did have a large number of people with significant numbers of $0 claims. So the total medical expenditure numbers might be a little bit low. Um, there was also a mechanism for verifying meal consumption. This was a retrospective study uh, that just used uh, cost and utilization data from a couple of years prior. So there was no way for us to go back to these individuals and ensure that they'd actually eaten the meals as they had been uh, prescribed or delivered. Um, it's important to note that uh, there may have been other things going on in individuals' lives uh, but we had no way of really tracking whether it was specifically the meals that uh, were being consumed adequately that made these differences. Uh, and then again, we did not adjust for cost inflation over the course of the study. Uh, next slide. So next steps, and, and this is, I think, a really important take home. This study is a critical first step in defining what that return on investment is from providing these medically tailored meals to chronically ill individuals. Um, until this study, there had not been a large-scale cohort uh, that could be uh, analyzed to see what happened to healthcare utilization when receiving medically tailored meals. It's very, very challenging to look at. There are a number of concerns, privacy concerns, data access concerns, analysis concerns uh, that we really fought through. Um, and thanks to the partners that we had at the table, thanks to uh, Telogen, who represents our Medicare uh, QIO, QIN, um, Medicaid, the University of Colorado, because of the partners that came together, we were able to put something um, in place to really look at what was happening to these individuals when they received these meals. Um, next steps uh, for analysis could include a detailed analysis of cancers, as I mentioned, um, a detailed analysis of end-stage renal disease patients across payers. Um, the, the Number of end-stage renal disease patients varied pretty widely um, across payers, and their costs are very, very high. Uh, there was some indication that there is a potential for significant cost savings in end-stage renal disease patients, but we need to find a way to look at them more specifically um, and more closely to ensure that we're getting correct information. Uh, we could also uh, be looking at things where we've confirmed the client identified primary disease and find a way to identify comorbidity severity so we can find out if someone is dealing uh, with asthma, seasonal asthma versus um, 
nebulizer every day can't leave the house asthma, which has an impact on how sick they are. Um, also, an in-depth analysis of the types of diets provided. Uh, looking back at the analysis, we did find that there were a couple specific types of diets uh, that were provided to individuals that tended to show better cost savings than others. So definitely looking at that uh, would be, I think, helpful for a lot of folks. And then ultimately being able to do a perspective analysis to allow us to uh, find out whether people are consuming the meals um, and to incorporate the patient outcomes. Because this was retrospective, there was no way for us, and because it was just administrative data, we couldn't really look at patients' medical records to say, you know, these people actually had better outcomes as well as using less um, healthcare over the course of the service. Um, unfortunately, perspective analyses are very, very expensive uh, to conduct, but uh, I think looking into the future, that would be definitely something that would be um, helpful to be able to put together. Uh, next slide. So I think that's it. Um, but despite all of those limitations, we are beyond thrilled. Uh, again, it's such a great blueprint to think about a social intervention um, that we can evaluate or evaluate using such a great resource. Um, and prop or bravo to the uh, civic team um, for really kind of paving the way on how. Um, to do such a study. So we're thrilled with the results and laugh that we had to spend all of this time and effort. I mean, we all know how we feel if we eat McDonald's when we get up um, for breakfast in the morning compared to uh, fresh fruit or a smoothie or something like that. But now we actually have the definitive proof that shows that when you eat well, you feel better and your healthcare costs are reduced. So thanks to Kristen and the team um, for your work on that. Thank you guys so much um, for this excellent presentation and exciting results of the amazing work that you guys do at Project Angel Heart. It's very exciting to have quantifiable data to, to really be able to share with folks the impact of, of what you're being able to do for people's lives. It's so exciting. Um, just a reminder for folks to go ahead and type in any questions that you have into the Q&A chat box that you have. Uh, on your screen. I know we have one question already, but I just wanted to remind folks to go ahead and type in questions. We'll take them as we get them. We have one question from Mark Levine right now, um, and that's related to, has this research been published? And what if, if not, are there plans? That's a great question. So um, we have not published the research. Um, so. Uh, our sister agency located in Boston, and forgive me, this is Rachel Rabb speaking. Um, our sister agency located in Boston is Community Servings, and they actually had a study that was very similar get published in April of this year in Health Affairs, which is right about the time we were going to submit for a manuscript. Um, their study had um, was fantastic, and the results mimicked ours. Um, it had a total N of 136 people. So as Kristen had mentioned a few times, our study had over 700 and had that granular level analysis analysis of um, payer as well as illness and line of service. And so our original intention, I think we had intended to submit for publication, but given that, as well as the embargoes that are associated with journal publication, um, we had decided to not move forward with journal publication for the first um, 
first uh, iteration of this study. And so um, I had mentioned at the beginning that we had looked at Project Gene Heart clients as well as Project Gene Heart clients compared to a control. And I'll let Kristen speak to it further, but I believe our intention is to submit for publication on that control group comparison. Um, so for folks that are on the phone that are interested, um, we do have the white paper as well as a brief summary um, of this study listed at least on Project Heart's website. Um, if you visit www.projectangelheart.org slash impact, you'll be able to um, download that white paper there. Kristen, do you want to speak to um, future plans for potential publication on the control group comparison? Sure. Well, and first of all, Civic is um, finalizing putting together a much more um, wonky and very, very detailed um, white paper on this first uh, piece of the analysis, the uh, analysis of what happened during the pre-intervention and post-period. Um, so I think, uh, depending on who you are, the white paper that Project Angel Heart has got posted is a fantastic overview of this project and of the outcomes of the first piece of this project. If you are someone who really wants to know the nitty-gritty details um, and all sorts of very, very um, uh, in the weeds uh, details about the analysis, uh, we will be putting that out shortly. Um, we are also drafting the manuscript uh, for the second half of this uh, project, which was when we, as Rachel mentioned, when we compared the Project Angel Heart cohort to another group um, who did not receive Project Angel Heart meals. Uh, and we are, we are moving forward on publication with, uh, with that manuscript. Um, that was not a piece that was included in the Boston study. Um, and so we feel pretty comfortable moving forward with that. Um, and as soon as that gets a little bit further down the road, we'll be able to start sharing results from the, the control group uh, analysis as well. That's great, thank you. And we have another question or and a comment from Phyllis Albritton. Hi, Phyllis. First of all, bravo to Civic and Project Into Heart for this groundbreaking work. Thank you so much. Um, the question is, now that you have been shopping this around, what are the stumbling blocks payers and ACOs have been offering to moving forward? That's a fantastic question. So, you know, with this research, we have um, been able to actually move some of those conversations with some local pairs and larger um, kind of national pairs forward a bit more. Um, one of the challenges with uh, Moving the conversation forward in Colorado is we are so innovative with healthcare that there is a new healthcare innovation happening at all times. Um, and so for those that are familiar with the administration, we are moving from accountable care organizations to RAISE, um, which is regional accountable entities, and that change had just occurred in July. So folks are really just trying to get their feet underneath of them to understand new reporting requirements and structures and communications and otherwise. And so um, things like that seem to um, always put things on hold. However, I make it sound with a negative connotation, but it's actually fantastic traction that we are making. I mean, everyone knows inherently that if you eat well, you feel better, and everyone is bought into this idea. And so we are super thankful now that we have this research um, to kind of talk about that bottom line ROI to move these conversations forward. I mean, the title, I think it's perfectly encapsulated in the fact that it says small intervention, big impact, because that's exactly what we're making for cost of meals, we're saving hospital admissions and otherwise. And so while there has been barriers to date, um, those are starting to subsequently be not being knocked down. And bravo to um, my colleagues and all of our advocates that are really kind of moving these conversations for us. For it. 
Yeah, and just to, to second what Rachel said, um, we do have a bit of pilot fatigue having, happening among our providers. Uh, I will say the providers across the state are generally pretty willing to take on new challenges and new approaches, but there is a lot of, uh, especially right now, a lot of uh, pilot fatigue. Um, and, and generally, I would say, I think our payers in the state uh, tend to be a little bit more conservative and maybe not quite so eager to try, off new, try out new things. Um, but the focus on addressing social determinants of health and the growing national acknowledgement that um, addressing things outside of strict medical care has an enormous impact on how people feel and how, what people's health is like um, is helping to push our payers in that direction. Um, so we're hearing that from Medicare, we're hearing that from a lot of the big um, national players, um, especially on the coastal areas that are starting to play around with what does it mean to address social determinants. So I think, I think the wave is breaking. I think we're going to start uh, seeing a lot of folks moving this direction and being much more accepting, especially when they've got these numbers behind them uh, to really demonstrate that this is going to make a difference. It's not just a feel-good move, this is an actual uh, financial and healthcare benefit. Absolutely. And just to build on that very briefly, um, I had mentioned this in our next steps, but there's also payer reimbursement coming forth. So um, new allocations associated with Medicare and having those supplemental benefits being offered and Medicaid starting to provide it as a reimbursable service. And so I feel like as more and more payers see the value add and benefit, then obviously it'll become with more broader implementation. So I think it's the long haul and the long slog, but we're definitely making progress. And then just a reminder to everybody on the line, if you have a question, please go ahead and type it into the Q&A box and we'll answer those as they come forward. I don't see any questions um, right now from the audience, but I do have a question for you guys. Uh, Rachel, I loved how you said that this is, at the beginning you talked about how this is kind of a blueprint for social services in general. Um, and, you know, a lot of the work in healthcare and in the space of healthcare and improvement and trying to do a better job of keeping, keeping people healthy and out of the healthcare system is the discussion on the impact of social determinants of health in general, um, of which obviously your meal services are one, but I think this might be a question for both of you, both Kristen and Rachel. What do you, what do you think this, in, how does this have the potential to impact um, advancing addressing social determinants of health across all different types of social services, um, both here locally and then nationally. What are you hearing from national partners um, being excited about being able to measure this kind of work for the first time? Kristen, do you want to start or would you like me to? <laughs> sure, I can start. Um, I think, uh, again, I, th I think we're seeing a split between um, providers and payers a little bit. Um, Providers, in large part, are pretty excited about being able to actually provide the care that their patients need, um, and that in large part they've realized that the patients needed for a very long time. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit different with payers. We're hearing a little bit of pushback as far as um, you want me to pay for meals and you want me to pay for transportation, and, and where does my responsibility end? Um, where is it no longer my responsibility to take care of someone uh, and pay to take care of someone? Um, I think, though, that it's going to be starting with the quote-unquote easy stuff. Um, meals are very um, easy to understand. 
Um, it's easy to understand how feeding someone appropriately would make them healthier, and it has a pretty immediate impact. Um, when you're talking about things like um, education um, or, or job training, those are much longer term interventions in the social determinants, and it's harder to see the immediate impact of on health. Uh, I think the more we focus on things like food, um, like transportation, housing, um, those social determinants that can have a pretty immediate impact, I think that's going to really pave the way for more enthusiasm around this. But from the providers I've talked to, um, they're very enthusiastic about being able to really um, start addressing what they know is determinative of patient health. And just from a different perspective as kind of the social service that was evaluated, we've received a significant amount of phone calls, not only from detail on the results of our study, but also kind of how this opportunity came about, what the resources were, inquiring on kind of the navigation associated with HIPAA and compliance and otherwise to evaluate the impact of a social service, especially for um, chronically ill populations. But, you know, I know uh, several other organizations that are thinking about kind of replicating the same thing for wraparound services associated with transportation and meals, or perhaps it's, you know, uh, counseling services and supports or otherwise. And so I really um, am just thrilled that we were able to take part in this blueprint that could potentially be replicated and kind of help this broader scale um, movement associated with addressing social determinants of health. And actually, just um, I wanted to point out one additional thing on one of Rachel's slides that I think is, is kind of important when you're thinking about overall impact. Um, can we move forward to the, Rachel's bar slide, her bar graph? So this one. Um, you'll know, Rachel talked about the significant increase in emergency department visits that we saw among this, this cohort of, of people during that intervention period. I want to point out, though, that emergency department use is a subset of outpatient utilization. So those emergency department numbers are actually part of those outpatient numbers as well. So you're seeing a 5% decrease in outpatient costs, even though the emergency room costs went up 225%. Um, I just think it's important to, to look at that when you're evaluating sort of the decrease in outpatient and the increase in emergency department costs is that even with that increase in emergency department use, we still saw an overall decrease um, in outpatient costs and utilization. But I just wanted to make sure that that was, that was clear to the, to the group. I appreciate that caveat. Thanks, Kristen. Great point. Um, and I, I, we don't have any other questions from those listening in, but I did have one other just curiosity question on my end. Um, Rachel, have you guys shared this with uh, other donors and foundations that you receive funding from? And I know we've talked a lot about payers and the potential for them to fund the work, the great work that you're doing and being able to expand your services. And so many people in Colorado could use your services, and I know you only have enough funding to go so far. Um, have you seen an increased response from your other uh, community partners, donors and families? That's a fantastic question. Thank you for that. Um, I really appreciate the question because this definitive proof actually supports some of those outcome metrics we've been collecting through our Meals for Care Transitions program that actually shows the more food we provide, the greater impact we have. And so we um, 
are actually increasing the volume of meals we provide to our clients by 40% starting October 1st, which correlates with our next fiscal year. And so we have really actually started sharing this broadly and widely with our philanthropic partners, um, foundations and corporations and otherwise, um, to really not only create that rhetoric and argument of why um, it's we're almost compelled to increase the volume of service. Um, but then everyone we were sharing this with is beyond impressed that we were not satisfied with the status quo of evaluation. And we really took an honest, detailed evaluation of what impact our program is making. Um, I had highlighted that we had results of almost unanimously across the board, but there were several instances where um, our meals were not necessarily um, reducing healthcare costs. And so we have all of those results um, and able to share kind of a candid and thoughtful evaluation as well. And so everyone we've been sharing with um, has been impressed and uh, has thankfully led to um, several increased and generous contributions as well. So thanks for volleying that up for me, almost so to speak, even though that was unplanned. <laughs> Oh, no problem. Well, I, would, I just know I was excited to get that email where when you guys were sharing that exciting news that you were able to now um, serve 40% more clients. That was really exciting to me to see the direct impact that that's going to have on people's lives. So, so very, very cool. Um, I just want to mention Phyllis Albritton. Thanks again for another kudos. She also wanted to throw out kudos to your chefs for making delightful meals in a way that makes them so respectful and delightful for your clients. And having been to your events where you have your chef um, sampling some of his dishes, I can echo that. The delicious meals that you guys provide if nobody has had an opportunity to, to check them out. They are wonderful as well as being nutritionally um, based. They're actually delicious. And I don't think everybody thinks about things Thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah, thank you guys so much for your time, and thanks for everyone who joined in today. And we will talk soon. All right. Bye.